You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the, by the Community Radio Network, also broadcast on 4 Z in Brisbane. This program is streaming live from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. And if, as I keep saying... Somebody disturbs your slumbers while you're sleeping, while you're listening to the Anarchist World this week. Don't despair. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. Yes, you can ring me and leave messages. I don't answer the phone, but I do answer interesting messages. 0439-395-489. And yes, I do respond to letters. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. And we also accept emails at info at anarchistage at yahoo.com or info at pipsy.net. YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Haven't used the Twitter stream for ages. Maybe I'll restart using the Twitter stream. Uh, websites, pipsy.net. Don't forget to join Public Interest Before Corporate Interests if you want to be part of the next um, federal and state election, not just a disinterested spectator. And also, obviously, Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, and, and the list goes on and on. But as I, you know, I'm not that interested in click activism, but... It does have a purpose. It makes a lot of money for a small number of people. Now, let's look. Look. Look, I don't want to, want to make a biblical analogy, but remember, I think it was St. Paul's. He was a tax collector. I may have, Look, I haven't read the Bible for a long, long, long... I don't think I've ever read the Bible to think about it, and I've never read Das Kapital either. I don't know where that puts me. But I do remember, I think it was St. Paul, the tax collector... He had a conversion on the road to Damascus. The conversion, he saw the light on the road to Damascus, stopped being a tax collector and became a, uh, an apostle for the Lord. No, the son of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's get this right, Joe. So it was interesting to see Mr. Murdoch. That's right, Mr. Rupert Murdoch. Head of the biggest climate deniers chain in the universe, the Murdoch Media, the owner of Foxtel, the owner of the corporations which gave you Trump, 
change his mind? Well, pretend to change his mind. Climate change is real. And we can make trillions of dollars from it here in Australia. Now, there are two types of people. There are people like you and me who look for the story behind the story. And there are people who just accept what they read on the internet, you know, or what they read in the Murdoch media. Well, the reality is Rupert's made a very important decision and every decision the Murdoch family has ever made is about entrenching the power and wealth of the Murdoch family. And that it means changing your opinion because it suits your commercial interest. You change your opinion to suit your commercial interest. It doesn't mean you actually believe in that change. Because this is all about the next federal election, which has to be held before May next year. Now, the Murdoch Empire has consistently supported the Liberal National Party, come hell or high water. And they know that Mr Morrison has a problem as far as re-election is concerned. They know he has a problem because of the pathetic handling of the COVID-19 pandemic and the botched vaccination rollout in this country. Also, because of their lacklustre performance as far as the economy is concerned, so they know they've got a problem and they know that an increasing number of Australians are beginning to understand that the climate emergency is real, you know. It's a little bit like saying the house isn't on fire, the house isn't on fire and then when you see the flames coming around the corner you think, oh, the house is on fire but it's too late to save the house. All you can do is save yourself. So all this change is about positioning the Morrison government in the best electoral light. Because while the rest of the world is taking cl the climate emergency seriously, from the Conservatives in England to the Biden administration to the Chinese government, while some of the biggest players in the world are beginning to take the climate emergency seriously, Mr Morrison has not and isn't, but he is trying on behalf of the Liberal National Party to patch up some type of climate emergency framework and net zero emissions policy by 2050, which gives them a little bit of credibility. And in order for them to be able to change their direction they need the full support of the Murdoch media during the next six months. And so what Murdoch has done is he has changed the position of the Murdoch empire in Australia regarding the climate emergency. And that's the key in Australia regarding the climate emergency in order to ensure the Liberal National Party has the best chance of being re-elected in this country. It's as simple as that. This does not change the position of Fox News, which is wholly owned by the Murdoch Empire. 
It doesn't change the position of most of the broadcasting outlets in the US of A who see that the best way for Trump to be re-elected as president is by pushing the climate denier agenda. But there has been a change in the colonies, that's Australia, in order to assist his mate, Morrison, and his hangers on us to become the next federal government. It's very simple. And those of you who somehow think that editorial independence in the Murdoch stable is part and parcel of the corporate-owned Murdoch media, think again. How can every newspaper in this country change its, owned by Murdoch, change its editorial position in a 24-hour period if those editors haven't been directed to change that editorial opinion? And it goes without saying that many of the anti-vaxxers and climate deniers which inhabited the Australian, the only national newspaper in this country, continue to hang on to their jobs in the Murdoch Empire because ultimately this conversion on the road to Damascus is nothing more than window dressing. It's a little bit like you're on a bus... You're hijacked by somebody, you're hijacked by some Islamic State militants, right? They go up and down the bus and ask you to quote from the Koran. If you can't quote from the Koran, you get your bullets, you get your head, brains blown out. Well, as far as Mr. Murdoch is concerned, he knows how to save his company's commercial dominance. And, and if it means superficially changing opinions for a short period of time, that's what they will do and that's what they continue to do. And when you think that 75% of newspapers in this country are owned by the Murdoch Empire, you begin to understand the extent of the influence in this country. And if you somehow think that social media has changed all this, think again. Think again. Social media has changed nothing. Most people in authority, most people in the media, both the government-gilded ABC and the corporate-owned media, take their directions from what occurs in the legacy media in the previous 24 hours. They don't have the staff or the time to do the research to provide news and analysis. So if a story appears in the Australian, it becomes the story which appears on radio across the country. It's the story which reverberates through social media. It's the story that's on Twitter, and the list goes on and on. So those listeners who somehow think that by ignoring the legacy media that the the things that are debated will change, think again. So 
I'm sure you haven't been taken in. I mean, you're listening to the Anarchist Wall this week. I'm sure you haven't been taken in by all this garbage. But it's important. It is an important change in direction because it allows Morrison to put forward a net zero emission policy which will be supported by the National Party. I mean, this is a pantomime we are currently seeing which will allow him to go to Glasgow to the COPS conference, which will allow them to ensure that their mates in the gas and fossil... their mates in the fossil fuel industry continue to make extraordinary profits. And let's not forget, although they're making extraordinary profits, we as taxpayers continue to subsidise the fossil fuel industry in this country. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscana. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Now, the other thing about this week which has been fascinating has been the rise and rise and rise of green capitalism. Now, we've spoken about green capitalism on this program for years. And unfortunately... Many activists, environmentalists, think that the solution to the current climate emergency is green capitalism. And we now see large corporations investing in renewable energy because they know with the change in political sentiment and social sentiment around the world, they're continuing to invest in the fossil fuel industry is bad for their bottom line. So they're pouring money into the renewable sector despite resistance from fossil fuel dinosaurs in Australia. And we've seen renewable energy companies or Fossil, even fossil fuel companies diversify their interests and start, and start talking about, you know, renewable energy. Now, the issue is, it's not a matter of green capitalism. The issue is, as far as energy sufficiency is concerned, is about centralised power sources and decentralised power sources. Now, in Australia, we've had a reasonable decentralised power system as far as solar panels on roofs are concerned. But what we are now seeing is the corporate sector moving into the renewable energy business and centralising energy production by creating large-scale renewable energy production sources which are owned, holus bolus, by these corporations. And that means the dependency that we currently have on a centralised energy system, a corporatised centralised energy system, will continue indefinitely. The issue is, as you know, capitalism is a very simple philosophy, ideology, economic system. 
It's about creating profits irrespective of the human, social and environmental costs. We all know that. It's a simple thing. You don't make a buck as a company, whether it's a corner cafe or a multi-billion dollar superannuation fund, and you don't make a profit for a few years, you go bankrupt. You disappear. There is no place in a capitalist society for an economic system which satisfies human needs but not necessarily creates profits. It's all about creating those profits, whether it's for private owners, whether it's for shareholders, whether it's for superannuation funds, and the list goes on and on. It's about creating profits at the end of the day. If you have a centralised energy source, whether it's renewable, whether it's nuclear, which is back on the agenda in Australia, whether it's fossil fuel, what it means is the control that these corporations, which are more powerful than governments at the end of the day, have over the economy, over the way people live, over the way society is structured, continues to be dominated by their need to create ever-increasing profits for their owners or major shareholders. So green capitalism is not just about money going into renewables. It's about money going into centralised energy systems which keep society dependent on that corporation for that essential service. And in in a technological society, energy, as we saw with the, you know, the, uh, what was it, the the fact that Facebook had a bit of trouble a week or two ago for a few hours, we can see the effect it has. If you can't use your automatic teller, you can't get petrol, and the list goes on and on and on. So, This is a struggle between centralised energy sources and decentralised energy sources. And centralised and decentralised energy sources based on renewable technology, not fossil fuel technology. And that is the the crux of the matter. Because green capitalism is ultimately about capitalism. It's about creating ever-increasing profits. And the way you create these profits is by having a monopoly on the structures which provide that resource, whether it's energy, whether it's oxygen, doesn't matter. As long as you've got that monopoly, it's centralised and you control it, then you have the capacity to set the political, social and cultural agenda in that state in that sovereign nation state, irrespective of whether it's a dictatorship or a so-called parliamentary democracy. Think about it. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Another huge battle, and this has been a huge battle which has been lost, and we've lost it comprehensively, has been the World Wide Web. Do you know? When the World Wide Web was initially created, it was created to give the government, the US government, 
the ability to continue functioning by having a decentralised system in case of nuclear war. That was the, its essence. And a lot of activists jumped onto the, um, you know, the new technology, holus bolus, because they saw it as a mechanism via which to break the power of the legacy media, the power of the media to set an agenda for each and every citizen in a particular area. They saw it as an opportunity to set up their own information sources, their own sources of analysis. But the reality is, what we've seen with a totally deregulated worldwide web, we've seen the creations of mega-monopolies, things like Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and the list goes on and on. It's not a competition between equals. It's a competition between large corporations which use their market power to destroy any opposition. So ultimately, as far as the World Wide Web is concerned, it has now become a source of income for a limited group of people who have monetarised the World Wide Web, and that simply means you make money out of it. Not just in terms of you own it, but if you're an influencer and you've got a lot of people looking at your site. So the World Wide Web works very simple. It's a very simple concept. It, obviously, it's a mechanism via which you disseminate information. It's a mechanism by which you have analysis. But ultimately, the platforms that have been created to provide access are platforms which are owned by either individuals or a combination of individuals and shareholders. So how does the World Wide Web function? It's very simple. You're the product. You are the product. I am the product. Every little thing that we put on their sites becomes their property. So we pay for the privilege of having access to mechanisms which allow us to communicate to a, theoretically to a lot of people instantaneously by our information. Now, ultimately... The World Wide Web is nothing more than a huge advertising platform because the technology allows the advertising to be targeted at specific groups. It's not like you put an ad in a major newspaper or a radio station and people are interested and people are not interested, you know, access the advertising, but it's specifically designed through the information that's been collected specifically designed to be able to almost individually, well, it does, individually direct advertising at a particular point in time when you're looking for a particular situation. Now, businesses, 
whether they're small or large, pay for the privilege of having their advertising on that platform, say Facebook. They pay for that privilege. It's not free. You pay for the privilege, okay, of getting your message across. And you pay for that privilege through advertising. So what's happened is the World Wide Web is no longer a decentralised system which allows you to access material. It's ultimately a centralised system which is controlled and owned by a, a small number of people whose primary aim is to make a profit. That's simple. So what you have is the lovely term called clickbait. You know, clickbait. The more outrageous your statements, the more outrageous the YouTube video, the more outrageous and homophobic and misogynist your viewpoint, the more clicks you get. The more clicks you get, the more people see that advertising which surrounds those specific sites. The more people see the advertising, the more profits go back. So it's a wonderful system. But it's not about decentralisation, as I spoke about when we talk about energy. It is not about decentralisation. It's all about centralising power and wealth. And I normally begin the program by defining what anarchism is. Anarchism is an exceptionally simple concept. It's based on the concept of creating a society without rulers because the term monarchos from the Greek means without rulers. So what gives rulers the ability to control the lives of millions and set the social agenda, cultural agenda, environmental agenda, political agenda? It's very simple. Inequalities in power and inequalities in wealth. So what does a centralised energy system do? It makes us dependent. It increases inequality. What does a centralised World Wide Web do? Same thing. It increases the gap between the poor and the rich and it increases the gap between those that make decisions and those who obey orders. It's very simple. It increases inequalities in power and wealth. So the central issues, as anarchists have always said, is centralisation of power, centralisation of wealth. An anarchist society is a society where wealth and power is decentralised. Now, currently, I'm involved in a program where we're interviewing activists from the autonomous zone of North and East Syria, near the world, you know, which is the middle of a war zone, the very people who fought ISIS to a standstill, who paid the ultimate price of losing about 20,000 of their young people in that battle, people who now find themselves hemmed in by Syria and Turkey and uh, hostile Kurdish forces, 
5 million people looking for a new way of running their society. Now, it's a 10-part series. The program, you can hear it uh, around the uh, country on the Community Radio Network. It's on every Thursday from midday to 1pm. And the interesting thing about this particular society, it's not perfect, it's got many issues like any society has, and especially if you're in the midst of a war zone, is the fact that decentralisation of power and wealth to a lesser degree pays such an important role in the processes which allow these people to live in a society which isn't dependent on a small number of corporations or a small number of leaders. So it's a fascinating exercise, not in terms of an anarchist society, but in terms of a society which is grappling with the issues of inequalities of power and wealth, especially when they find themselves in the midst of a war zone. So think about it. When we talk of capitalism, it's not just about making profits for profit's sake. It's not just about green capitalism, you know, renewable capitalism. It's about how we find ourselves in this particular situation in 2021, that we face a climate emergency, that we face a pandemic, that we face the problems with that increasing population brings, that we face the problems that, you know, finite resources brings, that we face problems that, you know, increase CO2 emissions because of human activity bring, and the list goes on and on. And ultimately, we need to look at what's happened on this planet over the last 100 years, especially over the last 40 years. Because over the last 40 years, we have seen a race, not a drift, but a race back to 18th century capitalism. Non-regulated capitalism, which created monopolies like the Dutch East East India Company. Non-regulated capitalism. Corporations, which had their own militias and armed forces, like the, uh, the British Company that ruled India for so long. Unregulated capitalism. We are going back to that period when there was no protection for the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power. There was no protection for the individual economically. We are seeing all the gains that have been made through the sacrifices of hundreds of millions of people and the deaths of tens of millions of people over the last two centuries which has transformed the state from an instrument of oppression to an instrument that, one, is still oppressive, but, two, provides basic necessities to its citizens through a universal health care system in this country, through a pharmaceutical benefits system, through a non-privatised road network. Obviously, that's gone out the window recently, and the list goes on and on. 
So what have we seen over the last 40 years? What have we seen? We have seen something, a radical transformation, but not a radical transformation towards decentralisation and economic equality, but a radical transformation in terms of centralisation and inequality. And this has been a political movement and a social movement, which we just can't blame a few individuals for. Because it's very easy to blame a few corporations or a few individuals, and obviously I'm guilty of that. But the reality is that we've all gone along for the ride. I am, you are, we all are, as responsible for creating this situation we find ourselves in as that section of society that we all power. Because ultimately we have forgotten. We have forgotten. Ultimately, in a democratic society, and I'm talking about parliamentary democracy, which is representative democracy, in a democratic society, power rests in the hands of a committed population. And if you listen to this program about the autonomous administration of North and East Syria, as I said at 12 o'clock on Thursday on your local community radio station, the fact is that's what they are trying to achieve. Democracy. Not based on representation, but democracy based on delegation. That's what they are trying, and that's what we are trying to achieve. And what we've seen over the last four decades is a headlong rush back to 18th century capitalism. A headlong rush back to the pirate economy. We have seen this through the adoption of four principles by the major political parties in this country. And these four, the adoption of these four principles has drawn us nearer and nearer and nearer to 19th century capitalism. And nothing highlights this more than the so-called gig economy, which is basically based on the concept, concept of exploiting people's labour in an unequal contract between an excessively large and powerful employer and a powerless individual who is in no position to negotiate anything except what's given to them, you know, at the end of the day. So how's this come about? It's come about through four principles. And I and I speak about these principles ad nauseum on the Anarchist World this week. But I think it's essential that we look at these principles and we look at them closely because if we don't understand what's happened to us, there will never be an appetite for change. I mean, I use the termite analogy today. Look, it's very simple. You've got a wooden structure, you've got a termite, doesn't matter. You've got 10,000 termites, could be an issue. You've got a million termites, the whole edifice crumbles, falls, collapses, and a new society grows out of the ruins because ultimately as human beings we need to eat, we need shelter, we need human company, 
when the interaction, and the list goes on and on. So, so what are these four principles which now are the mainstay of economic life around the world, which are the pillars, the four pillars of capitalism? Private investment for private profit. I mean, that's what capitalism is. It's about private investment for private profit. It's not about being a good corporate citizen and having a helicopter, you know, in times of emergencies or providing a few scholarships to some people you incorporate into your uh, organisation. No. So what are these four principles which have landed us in this situation today where inequalities in power and wealth have increased? And it's very simple. Forty years ago, if you were an investor... That's right, a mythical investor. You took a risk. You still do. You took a risk. If you invested in a project and you lost your money, well, you lost your money. But, but, if you made, succeeded and you made a profit, one third of that profit would end up in your pocket as the investor because you took the risk. And two thirds of that profit would end up in the pockets of the people you employed to create that profit. 40 years later, in 2021, the equation has been reversed. If you're an investor because of all these investment-friendly laws that we have in this country, like franking credits, negative gearing, you know, corporate welfare, and the list goes on and on. One, if you invest in something, the chances of you losing your money are minimal because of government support government support in the private sector but secondly if you do make a profit two-thirds of that profit will end up in your pocket and one-third will end up in the pockets of those people who do the work to create that profit for you it's very simple the equation has been reversed and how's that equation been reversed it's been reversed in a number of ways The first way is through deregulation. Now, people think that regulations are bad. Now, obviously, there are some bad regulations, but in the majority of cases, regulations are put in place to protect the public and individuals, especially workplace regulations and regulations regarding billion, the list goes on and on. With deregulation, and one of the most... uh, stark examples, deregulation of building inspectors where they're now they're privately employed. With deregulation, what you've seen is the ability of corporations to bypass regulations because they've been rescinded and actually cause problems to their staff as regulations which protect people on the work side or which protect their financial interests are removed, and I'm talking about small investors, what happens is that these people are more exposed to exploitation with no legal protection. So deregulation is a central plank. The next central plank is corporatisation. Now, what's corporatisation? Corporatisation equals Facebook. It's a very simple concept. We are told 
in a deregulated capitalist economy, there will be competition. Now, obviously, in a deregulated capitalist economy, what actually happens is that the small are gobbled up by the big and the big are gobbled up by the sharks. And at the end of the day, you may have one or two institutions which provide an essential service. They have a control over that essential service, like Facebook, like, say, you know, and there is no competition or minimal competition. Little competition, hardly any competition at all. The same competition you see, you know, with petrol stations. One day it's everybody's a dollar sixty-two, the next day everybody's a dollar eighty-three point nine. You know, there are a few outliers who are a little bit lower, but most of them sell at the same price. Next thing you so what happens in a capitalist economy with no regulations is that you get ultimately large corporations determining the fate of billions, if not hundreds of millions of people. That's why in most Western representative democracies you have what are called antitrust laws, but we don't have any of them in Australia. What that means is that a corporation, once it reaches a particular size as far as its domination of a particular field of human endeavour, they're not allowed to grow because of the law. So corporatisation is when you remove competition. Then the next step is privatisation. Now, we have had an orgy of privatisation in this country and we have been told incessantly, stridently, day after day, that privatisation equals more competition and decreased costs. Look at your electricity bill and see whether, you know, Having a decentralized, having a uh, privatized system makes any difference. Well, it does. It costs you more. It's that simple. So, what privatization does is not only gives away resources which have been built up over decades through taxpayers' money, through the blood, sweat, and tears of you know people who pay taxes in this country, and that's basically people who on wages and small business people is basically given away to the private sector. For example, the Commonwealth Serum Laboratory, which would have been a wonderful thing to have in public hands in 2020 and 2021 during the COVID-19 pandemic, was privatised by the Keating Labor government for the sum of, I think, about $295 million. Now, this company was formed in 1911 to provide vaccinations for the great Australian public. Now, we had the ludicrous situation in this country at the beginning of the pandemic where the Morrison-led Liberal National Party had to give the privatised Commonwealth Serum Laboratory a billion dollars to ensure they would stay here and manufacture one particular vaccine, which was AstraZeneca. And we found that they've still kept the billion dollars, but the AstraZeneca didn't turn out to be the universal panacea it was touted as, or the federal government thought it was. So privatisation does something which is very important. It removes an income stream from the, to the federal treasury because contrary to the propaganda, most 
publicly owned companies returned a dividend to the taxpayer through the Treasury, even Medibank Private, before it was privatised. There was a dividend to the taxpayer. You made money from public companies, which could either expand that particular services services or went into the Federal Treasury for the common good. At the same time, when you've got a strong public sector or a public economy competing with a private economy, you have real competition. Ansett Qantas, before Qantas was privatised, real competition. The Commonwealth Bank, before it was privatised, real competition. So prices are naturally kept reasonably low. And more importantly, public institutions are there to provide service to the public as a whole. So you've got deregulation, corporatisation, privatisation, and then you've got globalisation. What's globalisation? Now, currently, the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC is bleating about the fact that there's not going to be enough skilled labour to ensure that this country continues on the development pathway and that we need masses, mass, massive immigration. Not immigration directed at the asylum seekers and refugees who find themselves in this country, who in the majority of cases are expelled after years of waiting in limbo. Not immigration in terms of allowing more refugees to come into this country and asylum seekers not capping arrivals from Afghanistan to 3,000 after spending 20 years there and wasting Australian money and lives in a war we had no business in being in. No. No. So globalisation is about exporting jobs and manufacturing as we've seen with the COVID-19 pandemic. We didn't even have enough gloves or masks when you know push came to shove. It was about, it's about allowing, giving up your sovereign rights as a nation. Now, we talk about protecting our borders and we will determine who comes to this country and if they come illegally, we will deport them and we will be cruel and we will be nasty and we will be evil. But when it comes to our sovereign borders, as far as the economy is concerned, oh, no. Let the money flow in, let the jobs flow out. It'll maximise profits. Forget about the impact it has on the Australian people. They don't matter. Forget about it. So, it's very simple. But there is a problem. There is one big problem. Most of my fellow Australians, I think I'm Gough Whitlam, don't I? Men and women of Australia... Most of my fellow Australians really can't see the trees for the forest. It's a big forest. They can't see the individual trees. They can't see the negative aspects of privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation, deregulation. And I don't blame them. Because everybody in a position of authority every major media outlet in this country, every platform on the World Wide Web, major platform, 
is all about ensuring there is no debate. There is no other way for society to function, they tell us, apart from capitalism, private investment for private profit. No other way. This is the way. This is the way the good Lord determined that the earth would be run for eternity. (laughs) My apologies. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But unfortunately, as I keep saying, there aren't enough termites in the House of Australia. You know, there's people who jump up and down about the most innocuous subjects. People, you know, get really heated up about their so-called rights when they've got no rights, constitutional rights, and the list goes on and on. But ultimately, change does not occur unless people are aware of the situation they find themselves in. I mean, everybody's focused on life returning back to normal. Back to normal. Freedoms, a lot of garbage, back to normal, back to the same old garbage week after week, year after year, where the rich get richer, the poorer get poorer, the powerful have more power and the powerless, you know, put up with receiving the crumbs that are brushed off the corporate table, where the political parties that we have are mired in self-seeking behaviour where people become so disillusioned they think, oh, what's the point? You can't fight City Hall. It'll never change. I can't do anything about it. I'm going you know, to have another drink, have another bong, you know, put another bet on the horses. I'm not interested in politics. Doesn't doesn't affect me, obviously. What happens to you today, now while I'm speaking, is ultimately political. There is no division. People say the personal is political. They're correct. There is no division. Everything that happens to you is political. Everything that happens to you is ultimately due to legislation. Everything that happens to you happens for that reason. So if you want change and you want your position to improve both personally and as a member of a community and as a member of society and as a member of a nation state, you need to get involved. It's that simple. One termite will get nowhere. 10,000 termites will get nowhere. A hundred thousand, you start having a problem in a society of 25 million. So, look, I've been for years trying to get people to join public interest before corporate interest. It's been a particularly difficult undertaking because of people's disillusionment. But the thing about disillusionment is it's the oil that keeps society functioning. It's the oil that keeps those in power in power. Disillusionment and cynicism have no place in the struggle for change. No place. 
it is the aphrodisiac of those who ultimately make decisions which affect your life. I mean, the Anarchist World this week is about hope. And what's hope? The love child of desire and expectation. The desire for change and the expectation that change will occur. But change will only occur with your active participation. So I'm encouraging you not just to get involved in the things that I talk about, but get involved in things, even if it's a local a community garden or something. Isolation, which has been compounded by the COVID-19 lockdowns, social isolation, cynicism, disillusionment are the aphrodisiacs of those who exercise power. So think about it. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. There's no point calling and not leaving a message because if you don't leave a message, I won't return the call. It's very simple. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email us at info at anarchistage at yahoo.com or info at pipsy.net. You can join public interest before corporate interest by going to public interest pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net, download the application form. And I can assure you we don't branch stack. We haven't got enough members to branch stack, so you can relax there. You can go to the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, web pages, anarchistmedia.org, anarchistmedia.org. Tanamol, Tanaminoe Mobile Hina site, because that's going to come up in January, and the list goes on and on. Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. So there's lots of things you can do, and obviously there's billions of things you can do outside what I uh, mentioned on this program, but the key is to be involved. The key is to have hope. The key is not to be crushed by the by the burdens of disillusionment and cynicism and hopelessness. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. And I encourage you to listen to the Thursday special at midday to 1pm for another eight weeks on the autonomous administration in North and East Syria via your community radio station or this or community radio 3CR. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in next week to the anarchist world this week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger!
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.